Hello from Washington. I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor at Bloomberg Government. And with me, as always, is senior reporter Greg Giroux. Joe Biden just had a big win in South Carolina, and now it's time for Super Tuesday. On this episode, we'll highlight a few names and results to watch from the first congressional primary day. We'll listen to one last TV ad from this crop of races that caught our attention. And then we'll interview Tom Emmer, a congressman from Minnesota who's chairman of the National Republican Congressional Committee and in charge of winning back the House majority. We were there with 99% of the precincts counted. Number of other key down-ballot races. This is a very dramatic turn. We will have to look. House will be in order. Chair requests that members clear the aisle, take seats, and cease audible conversation. From Washington, this is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. Up first, Jerome's Gem. Thank you, Kyle. Jerome's Gem for this week is 35. That's how many U.S. Senate seats are presently up for election this November. Republicans are the defending party in 23 of those contests and the Democrats in 12. The 2020 Senate elections, as well as those for the House, really begin in earnest tomorrow, Super Tuesday, with the first actual votes tallied in the first primaries. Democrats will select or begin to select their Senate nominees against Republican incumbents in Texas and North Carolina, while Republicans will winnow their field of candidates in Alabama, where a Democratic incumbent is seeking re-election. Republicans control the Senate by a 53 to 47 margin, so Democrats need a net gain of three or four seats for a majority, depending on the outcome of the presidential election, because the vice president breaks 50-50 ties in that chamber. So, 35, the number of Senate seats up in November. That's your Jarrow's Gem for the Week. All right, up next, we'll give you our handful of things to watch in tomorrow's down-ballot elections. This is Bloomberg Government's Down-Ballot Counts. 14 states will vote for the Democratic presidential nomination tomorrow on Super Tuesday. Five of those, Alabama, Arkansas, California, North Carolina, and Texas, will also vote for Congress and other offices. For this segment, Greg, give me two names, races, anything you're watching tomorrow night, and I'll give you a couple of my own. Mine is a bit unruly over here, so I'll let you go first, and uh, that'll help me narrow down what I pick. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you, Kyle. Um, A couple of states, uh, a couple of races I want to point out. I'm always interested in primary challenges to incumbents, and we have the very first primaries of the year coming up on Super Tuesday, of course, five states with a total of 113 congressional districts. But the two that I'm really looking at, I think, on the House side are primary challenges to incumbents in Texas's 12th district, where Kay Granger, a veteran Republican incumbent from the Fort Worth area, been in Congress since 1997, has never faced a serious primary challenge, has a big spending primary opponent, Chris Putnam, uh, trying to unseat her in that primary. That's one race to watch uh, because there really hasn't been a significant opposition to Granger in the primary, and I've never seen any good polling in this race. It's hard to kind of uh, just find out like what the extent of any anti-Granger sentiment is there But uh, that's one race I'm going to watch. And then in a different area of the state, I'm looking at a primary challenge to a Democrat uh, in Texas's 28th district, veteran Democrat Henry Cuellar, who faces a more liberal primary challenger, Jessica Cisneros, an immigration lawyer running to the incumbent's left. Cuellar has a history of working with Republicans on a variety of issues, including energy policy. Uh, He is defending his longstanding ties and record in that district, while Cisneros has support from national liberal organizations and national liberal Democratic figures like um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So Cuellar has not had a tough primary since 2006, and we'll have to see how well of a challenge he runs against him tomorrow. Those are two that I'm watching, Kyle. 
Those are both good ones. And boy, if we see an incumbent loss on the first primary day, it's going to, you know, you're going to all of a sudden see a lot of stories. Okay, where where's the next one going to come? Uh, looking down the calendar. Uh, we're going to be looking at the other members who are facing a, a similar thing. Um, you know what I'm wondering? How many election night results are we actually going to get tomorrow night, right? Okay, California, uh, a lot of mail-in ballots, and they have something called ballot harvesting. Do you know about ballot har- harvesting? Uh, no, I think you have to educate me. In the, <laughs> this <maybe>. is where <laughs> the campaigns go around and collect absentee ballots uh, from voters and just to ensure that they get counted. Um, and Democrats did this in uh, 2018. It really uh, helped them. And Republicans say that's why they lost seven seats in California last year. Um, so both for both of those reasons, there's big piles of, of mail-in absentee ballots coming in on Election Day, um, which are impossible to count in one day. Uh, we, we saw one election take, I think, like three weeks uh, after 18. David Valadeo's loss in California 21. Um, so, but then you have North Carolina, Texas, Alabama, uh, runoffs, you're right? We have the possibility of runoffs in those states. So we may not actually have a nominee in a lot of the districts that we're watching. And there's a lot of them because we have a lot of retirements, a lot of open seats. Uh, North Carolina, you got the new map there. Um, and so Democrats uh, think they're going to be picking up a couple seats, and I think they will too. Uh, so, you know, I'm interested in on Wednesday morning, how many nominees do we actually have? Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's a good point. California has that drawn out process for counting its many mail-in ballots, so I'm not sure how many California results we'll have Wednesday, Thursday, into Friday. I remember that Valadeo race in 2018. I think that went into early December, possibly. Um, I'd have to check the record, but it definitely took weeks after the National Election Day. And you mentioned harvesting, and now I remember you know, what that is. Uh, I remember that North Carolina 9th District, uh, the special election, the absentee ballot harvesting became a major issue there. So Yeah, well, uh, that was yeah. a little different because that was illegal. And, yes. And the one in California is a legal exactly. process. So, yeah, there's really a, a lot to watch. Um, as you mentioned, we have uh, a lot of uh, multi-candidate fields, and these are a lot of these states voting uh, tomorrow are runoff election states, 50% plus one in Texas and Alabama, 30% in North Carolina. But what could delay the count is uh, you have to figure out if you know, maybe somebody is hovering around 50%. Um, maybe they've won without a runoff or not, but then you could have a lot of close uh, positioning for second place. And maybe uh, you kind of know it's going to be a runoff, but you might not know who the two candidates are necessarily. That's right. Okay. And the other thing I'm watching, uh, we have, I think, four former members running again. You've got David Valadeo uh, running to take on T.J. Cox, uh, the guy who unseated, the Democrat who unseated him. Uh, And then you've got Steve Knight running in California's 25th district, the uh, special election there and the regular scheduled election happening at the same time. Daryl Issa running in a new district uh, in California's 50th district, and Pete Sessions uh, running in a new district, uh, Texas's 17th district, all of those Republicans. That's right. And then um, you have uh, former Senator uh, Jeff Sessions, not to be confused with Pete Sessions, trying to re- reclaim his uh, Senate seat in Alabama. He was there for about 20 years yeah, this, this this primary day, Super Tuesday, is really punctuated by uh, a handful of former members of Congress seeking to uh, rejoin uh, rejoin the chamber they recently left. Interesting about Pete Sessions in Texas and Daryl Issa in California is that they're running in districts that are different from the ones they long represented during their uh, long tenures in the House. All right, we'll leave it there. Uh, up next, our weekly look at a recent campaign ad that stood out to us. Let's take a listen. 
I'm pissed off at Donald Trump. That's Tommy Tuberville. He's part of the blame Trump crowd. Veterans health care, Trump's fault. You said you're going to fix it, and it ain't fixed. Tuberville even blames Trump for illegal immigration. We're planning for, planning for illegals to come over here. Everything they get, cell phones, health care, everything they want. That's Donald Trump's fault. That's his fault. Tommy Tuberville blames Trump. I'm pissed off at Donald Trump. I'm Jeff Sessions, and I approve this ad. That was an ad from Jeff Sessions, the former senator and Trump's first attorney general. He really lays into Tommy Tuberville, the former head football coach at Auburn, who, along with Sessions, appears likely to move on to a runoff. Greg, what did you see here? I find this ad really compelling because Sessions, uh, Jeff Sessions, even though he's technically not an incumbent, almost, almost is. I mean, he served in the Senate for about 20 years, 1997 to 2017, before he became Trump's first attorney general, has probably universal name identification in Alabama and certainly within Alabama uh, Republican politics. And he's really acting like a uh, challenger in a tough race. And he is in a tough race. Um, Polling indicates that he's probably not going to win uh, this primary without a runoff. And it's a runoff that he's not guaranteed of winning. As you mentioned, Tommy Tuberville, the former Auburn football coach, is probably his top challenger. And um, as we've seen from dozens of Republican candidates running in Super Tuesday primaries, the Trump loyalty factor really looms large. This Sessions ad shows Tuberville critical of Trump and ends with an image of Trump and Sessions at happier times in 2016 when Sessions uh, was an early endorser of then-candidate Trump's White House bid. Of course, the uh, relationship between Sessions and Trump uh, deteriorated. Um, you know, Sessions uh, basically was forced to leave as attorney general at the end of 2018. And now his opponents are trying to uh, make that an issue, whereas uh, Sessions is trying to make point to previous comments by Tuberville critical of Trump, a campaign issue. And then a third major candidate running in that primary, Bradley Byrne, is saying, well, I have a 97 percent pro-Trump voting record, but uh, then there are people opposed to Byrne who are pointing out his critical comments of Trump made during the 2016 campaign. So it's just really uh, fascinating to watch uh, in that um, Sessions really hasn't been pushed to win an election in Alabama in a long time. And, but in this race, he certainly is. Yeah. You know what? I wonder if he I think he knows he's not going to win outright. He's not going to get a majority of the vote. But I think he's trying to pick his opponent in the runoff uh, by pushing down Tuberville. Um, that then likely lifts up Byrne, who I have a feeling Sessions thinks he has, uh, he'll have a much easier time uh, defeating in the runoff. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, candidates like to try and pick their preferred opponents. Um, we do see, I think, Sessions uh, going after Tuberville more than he has against Byrne. I think that's true. Um, and you've got several other candidates in that race. It's actually a seven-candidate Republican primary. Roy Moore, the controversial former Alabama chief justice, is running in this race. He certainly can't be discounted. I don't think he'll come close to making the runoff, though, because he lost this heavily Republican state in December 2017 to Democrat Doug Jones. Uh, Jones is defending his seat for the first time, uh, running in a state that Trump won by 28 percentage points in the 2016 election. So it'll probably take a runoff uh, to determine who Jones's opponent will be, and that runoff will be on March 31st. So there's not a lot of time after the Super Tuesday election for the presuming there's a runoff for those two candidates to uh, uh, kind of jockey for position to win that nomination. Okay, after the break, we're going to talk to NRCC Chairman Tom Emmer. From Washington, this is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. 
Now joining Down Ballot Counts is NRCC Chairman Tom Emmer, who represents Minnesota's 6th District, the same seat Michelle Bachman once held. Mr. Chairman, welcome to Down Ballot Counts. Well, thank you, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Okay, so this, uh, as I said, is called Down Ballot Counts, but let's start at the top of the ticket. Uh, You said on Fox News last week that Democrats' embrace of socialism will cost them the majority. How giddy are you and other Republican leaders about the prospect of Bernie Sanders becoming the presidential nominee? Well, and and forgive me, Kyle, I don't mean to get defensive about it, but I, you know, when people use the word giddy, we don't want to minimize how serious this is. I mean, we're talking about a party that has not just drifted to the left, uh, they have embraced socialism as their party platform, and it's a very real possibility unless uh, the uh, Democrat machine steals it from Bernie Sanders again, that he will be the uh, the nominee. A self-avowed socialist is going to be at the top of the ticket. The political reality is this. Their embrace, and when I say there, the new Socialist Democrat Party of America, that's soon to be just the Socialist Party of America, uh, their embrace of socialism is definitely going to cost them the, uh, the majority, and especially with Bernie at the top of the ticket. Uh, Mr. Chairman, when you spoke a few weeks ago at the Rapon Society uh, breakfast, you were optimistic about winning back the majority, but you noted the red flag of fundraising and the need for more of your members to raise more money. Uh, what needs to happen on your side for you to be satisfied with fundraising? Well, I'm never going to be satisfied with fundraising. You know, this building raised $190 million uh, the last cycle. It's an all-time record. Uh, this time, uh, we, uh, and by the way, we lost our majority by 106,000 out of the 115 million that were cast in the midterm. Uh, and the Democrats, despite our 190 million record, uh, the Democrats that ran against us with two people, Tom Steyer and Mike Bloomberg, raised more money. Just those two were uh, in the neighborhood of 220 million between them, and you don't even get to uh, act blue. In fact, the average, the winning de- Democrat on average spent $4 million in 18, while the, av- the uh, winning Republican, average winning Republican, spent two. So we got out, spent two to one, lost our majority by 106,000 votes out of 115 million cast. Uh, it's much closer. We're going to get outspent again. My warning to them, Greg, was you can't expect somebody else to do this for you. It's it's really tough when you're in the minority. You got to work ten times as hard uh, in order to catch up with the uh, the the hair that's running in front of you. You really are going to have to step on the gas now. Uh, all that being said, the stuff I didn't talk to you about at the rip on uh, uh, breakfast that morning was the fact that. Despite having 40 fewer members, and I mean fundraisers like Paul Ryan, Jeb Henserling, Kevin Yoder from Kansas, Pete Roskam from uh, Illinois, Eric Paulson from Minnesota, despite being 40 fewer, we raised last year here at the NRCC a little over 85 million, between 85 and 86 million. We are on pace to meet or break the all-time record with 40 fewer members. And then you look at uh, a couple of things. They uh, they spend more money, guys. Uh, in fact, uh, they should have had close to a forty million dollar uh, advantage after uh, at year end, but they spent uh, twenty two of it already. Uh, so it, it's uh, is is it going to be uh, uh, a race to the end? Yes. Uh, are they going to have more resources? Yes. But I'm confident that our candidates will have the resources they need to compete all across the country and take back the majority. 
Uh, Mr. Chairman, tomorrow is, is, of course, a big day in the presidential primaries, but uh, also the congressional primaries. We've got uh, five states with a total of 113 congressional districts voting. Uh, what are some districts that you're watching closely either tomorrow and through November? Well, I'll give you a couple. So it's been our mission here at the NRCC to recruit candidates that reflect the diverse look of our party at the grassroots level. You know, I, I don't buy into this that the uh, Republican Party uh, needs to be more diverse. It already is on the street, Main Street, all across this country. We need to do a better job of going and doing the outreach to uh, all these different communities and, and uh, women and tell them you can serve too. And I, if you look at the folks that we've got running, I think uh, I'll use two states in particular. Texas and California speak to the fact that our mission has been a success so far. Uh, in Texas, you got Wesley Hunt in uh, the old H.W. Uh, Bush seat in Houston. Uh, you got Beth Van Dyne, former mayor of Irving. Uh, in California, you got people like Michelle Steele and Young Kim. Young Kim, who won last time, and she will win this time and will not have it taken from her in the 30 days after the election. Ted Housey. Uh, in the old uh, denim seat, uh, he's uh, actually, watch him. He might be a, a diamond in the rough in a very difficult uh, district. And then, of course, David Valadeo, who is going to be coming back here. These people reflect the diverse districts from both Texas and California. And this is what Republicans will need to do to be successful. It's why one of the reasons it's not just the embrace of socialism, it's the people we have running is why I think we're going to take back the majority. Mr. Chairman, we uh, also have a special election coming up tomorrow in California's 25th district. Are, are you looking at that as a bellwether for November? You know, I'm not. I, and it's funny, I guess I hadn't anticipated you asking me that, that question from that slant. It's, uh, it's a very interesting seat. It's a seat that's been trending away from us over the past uh, few cycles. Uh, and nobody expected us to have a chance to take this seat back. And I, I think I would be uh, over uh, simplifying it if I said uh, we were going to take it back. But look, the uh, the Democrat who's going to be incredibly well-funded will probably be one of the top three candidates. And then I would expect a Republican, whether that's Steve Knight or Mike Garcia, to be uh, number two for the runoff. And uh, it's going to be really interesting. I think uh, in a seat that uh, Katie Hill, uh, the, uh, the the gal that had to resign, uh, for uh, having relationships with her staff. Uh, Katie Hill won that district in uh, 18 by 10 points. So I don't know that you could call it a quote-unquote bellwether, but it might give us a really good read now that you ask the question uh, when we get through the runoff as to what's actually happened in that district, uh, what the effect is going to be looking forward to the general next fall. Mr. Chairman, you alluded to this a moment ago. You've identified as a top priority electing more Republican women to a House that now has 88 Democratic women, 13 Republican women. What is the NRCC and allied groups doing differently this cycle to address that gap? Well, keep in mind, we have 15 women. You, everybody leaves out the territories all, all the time. American Samoa and uh, Puerto Rico, we've got uh, Gonzalez. Uh, but you're right. Uh, last time we had a record number of women running. There were 100 uh, women running. Only one made it through the primary process and the general election process. Uh, and uh, Carol's been a great addition. The, uh, we needed to do a better job of making sure we not only recruit people that reflect their districts and reflect the diversity in our party, but we had to recruit people who, uh, quite frankly, have some uh, campaign experience. That's why I brought up uh, Beth Van Dyne. And, uh, you know, you've got uh, 
uh, there'll be a primary in South Carolina, so we don't play in those. But you look at the uh, candidates that are running in South Carolina one. Uh, you've got a sitting uh, state legislator. She knows how to win races. She's proven. So uh, it was a combination of having our membership rather than uh, highly paid uh, or well-compensated Washington consultants, having our actual members from the different delegations identify people on the bench at home that are capable of doing this and that we should do outreach to. Guess what, guys? It's been enormously successful. One of the unwritten stories so far in this cycle is that we now have, I think as of last Sunday, uh, 1,100 plus candidates running as Republicans uh, for the U.S. House of Representatives. And that number includes an all-time record women. We're uh, 215 plus uh, minority candidates. I think we've hit 180. Uh, And veterans were over uh, over 200 uh, uh, veterans that are running uh, in seats. It's an incredible uh, group. uh, And I told you earlier, Our candidates will win in November, not just because they're great candidates, but because their opponents uh, have come to Washington, embraced far-left policies uh, advocated by socialists uh, and the government-run health care and raising people's taxes through the roof. That's not a winning message. And we got the candidates uh, that'll sell. Okay, last question. You took over as chairman of the NRCC in the immediate wake of a Democratic wave. How has your optimism for winning the majority changed since then, if at all? You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a glass half full, sky is blue kind of person. I wouldn't have taken this job if I didn't think we had an opportunity to take it back. But I'll be candid. You know, a lot of people tell you that it's uh, when, my, when I started, they would say it's going to take you two cycles. You know, you might get some seats back in this cycle and then uh, get the rest of them next cycle if all goes well for you. And you can look back at history. You know, it's uh, history is not with us. I think... Uh, uh, Nixon's first reelect, Republicans won 12 seats, and uh, Reagan's first reelect, Republicans won 16. We need 20. Uh, but I've always budgeted 25. Uh, from the very start, I've budgeted 25 because you're going to have some surprises and things that uh, don't go your way. You're also going to have some good surprises, some people that pop up that you didn't expect. Uh, right now, I, I firmly believe that we are on track to win 25 plus in the event uh, Bernie Sanders is the candidate, it's going to really help uh, help that push. But don't don't uh, oversell Joe Biden. I mean, for goodness sakes, if Joe Biden is the candidate, everybody wants to wants to hope that he somehow is going to be the savior on this. And absolutely not, guys. He might actually put us in as good or better a position the way he has framed he and his party have framed this thing up. Because at the end of the day. They're going to steal it from Bernie if someone else is the candidate. And if it's Joe Biden, I mean, he's, a, he's just about as radical as some of the other ones when he comes out and says, get ready for it. I'm going to raise your taxes. 80% of Americans that got a tax cut, I'm coming to take that back. And that's just the beginning. All right. Well, we'll have to leave it there. NRCC Chairman Tom Emmer, thanks so much for your time and good luck this year. Thank you, guys. Good talking with you. This is Down Ballot Counts. Now, before we close the show, we've got a parting shot of trivia for you. That's right. It's trivia time on Down Ballot Counts. Each week, I try to stump Kyle and you, the listeners, with a political trivia question. But first, let's review last week's question and answer. And my question was, when was Bernie Sanders first elected to Congress? Kyle, you've had some time to think about it. Do you have an answer? I'm going with 1990. Ding, ding, ding. Correct. 1990 is correct. Sanders was elected that year in a House class that included 
John Boehner and Rick Santorum, among others. They're no longer in Congress, but uh, people who are include Maxine Waters of California, Rosa DeLauro of Connecticut, and Colin Peterson of Minnesota, who are still serving. Uh, Sanders was elected to the Senate in 2006, so good job if you got that one. Bernie Sanders elected to the Congress in 1990. Uh, now, for this week's question, we spoke earlier in the program with Tom Emmer, the chairman of the National Republican Congressional Committee and the person in charge of winning a majority of seats uh, from the Democrats. My question is, when was the last time Republicans won control of the House of Representatives from Democrats? In other words, what was the last year the Republicans wrested away the majority from Democrats in an election year? Probably not the toughest question I've asked here, but um, maybe you can be the first one to submit the correct answer, of which I expect many. You can email your answer to bgovpodcast at bgov.com or tweet your answer to the Bloomberg government Twitter handle at bgov and use the hashtag downballotpod. We'll reveal the answer and ask a new question on next week's program. That's it for us today. But before we go, Greg, what else are you watching this week? Super Tuesday all day tomorrow and probably into Wednesday and Thursday, Kyle. But in Congress, I want to look at that bipartisan bill that emerges to provide coronavirus funding. And the Senate is taking up some energy legislation that a lot of vulnerable senators in 2020 have uh, vested interest in, have pieces of that legislation there. Susan Collins of Maine, Cory Gardner of Colorado, Martha McSally of Arizona, just to name a few. And tune in this Thursday for a special edition of Down Ballot Counts, looking at everything that happened on Super Tuesday. I'll note here that Michael Bloomberg is the majority owner of Bloomberg Government's parent company. The producer for Down Ballot Counts is David Schultz. You can follow us on Twitter at Kyle Trigstad and at Greg Giroux. And be sure to check out all the great politics coverage on Bloomberg Government's website, about.bgov.com. We'll talk to you Thursday. Hi there, I'm Amanda Icone, co-host of Talking Tax. Each week, we dig into the biggest tax and financial accounting challenges and opportunities from policy to on-the-ground realities. We bring you corporate leaders, accountants, and industry insiders. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. For more, check us out on news.bloombergtax.com.